Welcome to the London Business School podcast series, The Reality of Artificial Intelligence, How Are Businesses Using AI Today? I am Julian Birkinshaw, Professor of Strategy and Entrepreneurship at London Business School, and I'm the host of this series where we discuss the practical applications of AI in the workplace. Today, we are putting the spotlight on fintech, the sector where new digital technologies collide with the traditional offerings of banks and other financial services firms. We cut through the hyperbole, to ask how important is AI to fintech really? What practical problems is it solving? Where are the biggest challenges and opportunities it presents? I have two guests today. First, Andrew Patwarden, Managing Director of Credities Fintech Investment Fund. Andrew, before we get into these meaty issues, please tell us a little about yourself and your company. Your fund was recently ranked number three globally among the most active fintech VCs with apparently the equivalent of a billion dollars in committed capital. And yet many listeners will not have heard of Creditees before. Please tell us a little bit about the fund and yourself. Thank you, Julian. It's a great pleasure to be here in London on a nice sunny day. Thanks for inviting me. A little bit of background about Creditees. It's a financial services company in China that started about 12 years ago. A large company focused on wealth management, asset management, insurance, and marketplace lending. It was started by Tang Ning, and he's the CEO and founder. As part of our wealth management business, we have robo-advisory for the vast affluent in China, and then we have private banking kind of business for our high net worth and ultra high net worth clients. And FinTech Fund is one of the proprietary funds that we offer to our clients. Started two and a half years ago. We've made about 60 investments so far, mostly in US, UK and China. Perfect. So we'll definitely be getting some of your thoughts on investments you've made and where the trends are taking us. But before we get into that, let me introduce my other guest, Narayan Naik, who's Professor of Finance here at the London Business School. What's your area of expertise? I've been here for 28 years, and the area of expertise has changed over time from market microstructure to hedge funds, more recently in fintech. And I, we teach a fintech course twice a year at London Business School, which is oversubscribed. And they all want to kind of get into, start their own or make money. And uh, we, it's our job to tell them the reality. So, so that's what I do. Perfect. So let's get into it. Fintech, as you say, is, is huge. It's growing it has many, many different meanings to different people. So let's let's start in a fairly pedestrian way, if you like. In other words, let us say, what are the current uses of artificial intelligence in financial services products today that we are using perhaps even without realizing it? Andrew, can you tell us what some of those look like? So when it comes to the world of banking or financial services more broadly, I think the application that we see the most is use of machine learning for credit risk management and fraud risk management. In the recent years, we've also started seeing use of conversational AI or chatbots in the call centers or in some of the customer service areas, and now a little bit of computer vision or image recognition, including the use of biometrics. Got it. And let's just dig a little bit deeper into a couple of these. So fraud prevention, this basically means, you know, when I use my credit card in a particular way, which is unusual, nowadays, quite often that credit card is blocked for good reasons. What is happening? How, how does that work? Uh, Narayan, do you want to just help us with what's going on behind the scenes there? Where my, I try to use my credit card to buy some unusual purchase, perhaps in a city I've never been to before. What's happening behind the scenes? 
Well, they are keeping track of your spending patterns, your location, geographic locations. The new cards like Revolut will make sure that your card is being used close to your mobile phone, smartphone as well, so that it's, it's not that phone is at one place and card is at another place. And they are trying to identify outliers at the end of the day. And if it becomes unusual, defined whichever way they would like to, they will try to protect your card and protect you, stop that charge being made onto that card. Okay, so, and it's probably just a, a clever computer algorithm running in the background that is monitoring my behaviour. In real time. In real time. And you talk, talk a bit about chatbots, because I think everyone knows what that is now, you know, where essentially we are typing into our computer screen and we're getting replies back, but that's usually a computer, not a person that's doing that. Is that, is that correct? Yes. So the way it's applied in most of the financial services is that it starts with a machine in the background, which has been trained over time using existing policy manuals or procedure documents or internal documents to be able to respond to some of the simpler queries in an automated manner. But if you get to something more complicated where the machine is not certain of the answer, then the way it would typically do today is it would draft a response and then route it to an agent to review it before clicking send. So the, so the first screening, as it were, is done yes. automatically. Uh, and then robotic process automation, this is a term that everybody's now, again, heard of, but perhaps doesn't know what it means, RPA. What does that mean in the world of financial services? So um, actually in the world of banking, uh, you know, the, the application which is used the most indeed is RPA, robotics process automation. Use of AI is less prevalent than RPA. It's not strictly AI. RPA is where a software robot mimics human actions. For example, in the past, you may have had people routing applications to different underwriting agents based on their skill sets or based on the time requirements. And then today with RPA, you could put simple rules around that and it would do workflow automation. AI is simulation of human intelligence by machines. So the two are quite different. RPA is more of doing or automating the doing part of it, whereas AI is the thinking part of it. So is it right to say that all the applications in use today are at the very much the lower end of that spectrum in terms of what they're doing is they are automating and, and making easier a whole bunch of transactions, which have been done in the past by humans, rather than necessarily the, the real human intelligence aspects of that spectrum. Is that is that correct? Yes, in the sense machine, the, the, the confluence of technologies, smartphones, computing power, cloud, and the macro environment and the new generation wanting to do everything on smartphone has kind of accelerated the growth in machine learning. Now, neural networks are already there. We had Paul Raffinis here in mid-90s writing about it, but we didn't have the computer power, we didn't have the cloud, we didn't have the data. So time was not right for it. Today you can sit here and rent supercomputer from Google or somebody like that and giving data and allow it to do that. So machine learning has taken off. This is simple statistical probabilistic kind of algorithms or decision trees. So that's what is the behind the growth. In fact, if I may add to that, you know, I used to work in banking at Citibank and at Standard Chartered Bank, and we were using neural networks for fraud risk management 20 years ago. It was just not called AI. And over time, we talked about credit card frauds. Over time, the intent has been to make the credit card approval and authorization process better with better algorithm. 
in the past, you know, the reject rate on credit card processing used to be close to 4%, which would often lead to a very bad customer experience. And nowadays, use of machine learning, better algorithm, the idea is to optimize between approval and reject rates so that you're not rejecting incorrectly. And certainly my personal experience is that the, the, those algorithms are just, they're just getting better all the time. They're when, getting better all when, the time. When, when I get a call from Barclay Card, you know, there's right. usually something genuinely wrong rather right. than right. a mistake. And the RPA part of it, I just wanted to say, um, you know, in my last job as the chief innovation officer at Standard Chartered, we did many projects around RPA. It was just not sexy or glamorous in those days. <laughs> and now, you know, automation anywhere and UiPath and others are raising funding rounds of like hundreds of millions of dollars and suddenly everybody's talking about RPA. <laughs> I completely get this. In other words, you know, this is a, a trendy term and to raise money it is very useful to use this as a way of signaling that you are you are modern and progressive so let us move from kind of what's being used today to what is becoming possible in the future so Andrew I mean you're making these investments all the time and you're certainly seeing lots of proposals what are some of the interesting newer applications which are perhaps moving slightly higher up the scale of genuinely simulating human intelligence in financial services so we've made like I mentioned, about 60 investments. And I would say at least half the companies we've invested in use some version of AI. Many of them use machine learning for credit decision-making or fraud risk management or KYC. Uh, they use biometrics. Many of them use NLP. But the one that stands out in terms of the you know, high-end AI is a company called H2O.AI, for example. It's based in Silicon Valley. And they have been building AI applications in different verticals, including banking. So a simple example would be today, you know, an analyst in a bank is running regression models or they're running SaaS queries to do the analytics part of it. And if you wanted them to use big data or do machine learning, you would either need to hire people who have the expertise, who are nowadays hard to find and very expensive, mm -hmm. or you could use H2O.ai, which has built automated tools which can be used by the analysts to do the work without being AI experts. So I'm quite excited about so H2O. So that's certainly one area. And just one, give us another one. Another one which is not being used but looks nice. You see these humanoid robots in several bank branches. It started in Japan and now in many other places. You see Pepper and you see Sophia. And what do they do? Because many people will have seen these things. They, they, they look cute, right? They actually don't do anything in fintech. They look cute and they roll their eyes and they welcome you into the branch and, you know, you sort of tap on them and they sometimes sing and dance. But in terms of banking, they don't do anything. <laughs> they, no, I, the AI purist would probably call them gimmicky. <laughs> I, I read somewhere that in a hospital in Singapore, Guiding a patient from the reception to the place, may it be for laboratory or is done by a robot who walks with you and who talks to you and so on. I saw it even in the GIC office in Singapore. Uh -huh. There's this little thing that guides you from reception to the conference room. Yes, yes. It's gimmicky, but uh, cute. Indeed. And of course, <laughs> you know, we, we do need some of these gimmicks just to remind us of what is potentially possible in the future. Let us look at an important issue which we must get to, which is that the there are limitations to, to AI. There are both behavioural limitations in terms of how much we are prepared to adopt some of these technologies, and there are also going to be regulatory issues. Angie, I mean, you talked to me about this briefly in advance. You know, what are What is it about AI that makes regulators worried, governments and bank regulators and so forth? So a large part of what the regulators look for 
is the ability to understand the correlations, right? Even on the credit risk side, when you use regression models, you should be able to demonstrate to a client or to the regulator on what are the variables that went into your decision-making process. And if that decision-making process is a black box and that black box could have biases or could have other issues, then that's a problem in the world of financial services, right? That's what happens when you talk about robo-advisory, when you talk about selling financial products or use of machine learning in risk models. So, I mean, Narayan, I know you're an expert on robo-advice. I mean, this this notion that a computer can not just, shall we say, make stock trades on my behalf, but also actually advise me and, and make choices for me about what to invest in. I, that is an emerging area which regulators are quite exercised about, correct? Yes. There are two things involved. As Anjo was saying, a lot of the artificial intelligence is based on the data set that it is trained on. And if the data set has biases of certain kind, then that those biases will get carried into the application. Not in the world of fintech, but if you think about stop and search policies by Metropolitan Police and you give them the record of how many people of certain race or appearance were stopped and were found carrying knives or something like that, that particular bias will continue because that's what the computer is trained on. Similarly, for robo-advice, you're asking a question on what kind of characteristics has the machine learning been trained on. And regime changes can make a huge difference. You know, up to 2007, you had this low volatility and... uh, Know, bull market from 2003 to 2007 comes subprime crisis you know till july 2007 nobody had heard about it and then the fed dropping the interest rates from 6% to virtually 0% now that's a regime that has not been trained on right so it's regime changes of that kind can completely throw the answers off which are trained on a different so robo advice essentially is good at shall we say replicating patterns that have happened in the past, but of course it's completely hopeless at spotting changes. some of these discontinuities yeah. what or, you call or when Trump tweets and causes havoc in the financial markets, the machine doesn't know how to react That's to right. that. No, I mean, none of us know how to react to those sort of things, let's be honest. But it is true that the human is more likely to quickly pick up and discount on some of the context. Yeah. Exactly. So there's huge limits to how much we can actually use AI in big chunks of the kind of financial services world just because of the necessary regulations around it. Are there any other limitations to AI, for example, in terms of how you and I might actually use these technologies? I mean, perhaps there's a generational thing going on, but I, I'm pretty sure that you know our parents' generation are going to be much more sceptical about using the advice of a computer. Any thoughts on some of the behavioural issues that we have to get to grips with here? I think it's not so much of behavioral issues from the end users. It's more around how it's configured and how it's designed. The good AI systems would be done in such a way that the end user is transparent to how it's being used. Sometimes it may be very obvious. Like, for example, I was recently in in China uh, trying to check into a hotel in Hangzhou with my colleagues, and they had this little iPad kind of gadget at the reception and trying to lock into our faces. It was using facial recognition for identity verification, right? Now, it didn't find me in the database, thankfully, but my (laughs) two other colleagues from Beijing were in the database and it identified them correctly. Now, some people may say, that's great because I don't have to show my ID and some may find it really spooky. And that, I think, may be a generational thing. But otherwise, uh, the whole idea is to make things easier from a user's perspective. And then there's this issue around personal 
privacy. I mean, this is this is cutting across that's the biggest ways of society, different sectors. But but that's right. I think many of us of our of our generation are struggling a little bit with this. Our kids, frankly, they've never known anything different, and then they seem to be True. very. It's also used in security in terms of at airports or at uh, shopping malls. The video cameras have face facial recognition software. And if something were to happen, the machine can do the processing much faster compared to a human being. So it, it's being applied in those kinds of areas. Good. So one question that always crops up, which we need to discuss, is is jobs. So we often worry that the, the computers are stealing our jobs. And, you know, for me as a, as a professor, this process of creative destruction has been going on forever. You know, new, new sectors emerge, they create jobs, they kill jobs in their stead. In the financial services sector, what, what do you see? I mean, I'm not expecting hard data here, but in your observation, at the moment, has this recent round of technological innovation created jobs? Has it destroyed jobs in equal measure? Where, where are we in terms of that balance between job creation, job destruction? Well, I uh, just the way when ATM machines were introduced, a lot of cashiers became redundant because the machine could do the job of simple things, of withdrawing money. Similar things is happening in the financial world, especially driven by regulation post-2008 financial crisis. So there was this photograph of a leading investment bank's trading floor, which has just computers on both sides, one person at the end and a dog here. Now you'll wonder, (laughs) what is that? And they, they seem to have replaced 600 analysts or traders by two, Yep. Uh, the dog is to prevent the m- people from tampering around with the machine, and the man is there to feed the dog. <laughs> so they call it quantamental investing. So this is quantitative analysis plus fundamental plus this, and it's increasingly being used. But by definition, it is backward-looking by a large part of it. So unless you have some signals, forward-looking signals that are built into that, Chances are you're driving a car looking at the rear view mirror. Exactly. Not a very safe way of doing things. Indeed. So, Andrew, you've you've worked in very big banks. You're investing in lots of small fintech startups. What's your sense of the the win-loss ratio in terms of job job creation? So, depending on which reports you read or you believe in, I mean, there are studies put out by World Economic Forum and other people, uh, other organizations, which say that about 30 to 40% of the jobs in financial services, as we know today, will disappear. And I would believe that. And I think the reason for that would be a lot of automation linked to RPA, robotics process automation. Some of it would also be related to image recognition and computer vision. I would give you an example from um, China. I met a company recently, and they told me that they had close to 100,000 call center agents uh, that were processing accident insurance claims for their insurance business, auto accidents, because they would get millions of claims every year. And then they implemented an app where, you know, after you have the accident, you take a video of the car, uh, the number plate, the details, you upload it onto their system. They already have details of the car, make, model, vintage. They know the geolocation. They can figure out the nearest workshop, how much will it cost based on historical data. And if it's a sort of a simple kind of claim, it gets processed automatically and the appointment is booked. And through this process, they have been able to automate 70% of the inbound queries. And they had, I think they had like 100,000 agents handling those calls, and now they have less than 30,000. Wow. Right? So and yeah, that's and, and, automation. 
that's and it's huge. And as you said, and financial services is such a big industry. Even if those numbers aren't completely true, that is a lot of jobs which are going. New jobs, of course, are being created, but they're being created typically in, in much smaller areas, different areas, and smaller numbers. So there will inevitably be a dislocation. We've only got a few minutes left, Andrew. You obviously are making investments in fintech across the board, not just in the world of artificial intelligence. So could you just give us a, a couple of your thoughts on the big trends that you see or the big opportunity areas in fintech more broadly? Yeah, a few things. One, I would say what has changed a lot in the last few years is the manner in which banks and fintech companies see each other. That has definitely shifted from being competitors to being collaborators. Even in terms of investments, significantly more dollars are now going into B2B fintech companies as opposed to B2C. So it's an era of collaboration. But at the same time, I think what both banks and fintech companies need to worry about is the big tech companies like Amazon and Google and Facebook, which are getting into fintech. Google launched payments in India called Google Tez. WhatsApp is about to launch. I read two days ago that Amazon launched P2P payments in India. Amazon is getting into insurance. Some of them are talking about checking accounts. So that's a big area to worry about. Can I just interject there sure. briefly? Because clearly the Amazons, Apples, Googles are spreading their tentacles into many parts of the economy. They don't want to become banks themselves, do they? What they want to do is to be able to tackle slithers of the banking industry payments or whatever and sort of make those profitable in a way that actually allows them to get some of the benefits of profits from the banking sector without ever becoming fully-fledged banks. Is that is that correct? The conventional banks have archaic traditional systems which often don't talk to each other and very difficult to fix and upgrade. The fintechs do this very efficiently but they don't have the customer acquisition ability to acquire all the customers. So that's where the collaboration that Anju was talking about comes in. The banks have the customers, but don't have the technology. And you need to do it in an arm's length way, in a way. If you try to bring it into the hierarchical structure of a bank, it will suffocate the fintech culture. So you need that. Got it. And this whole, in Europe, we talk about open banking yes. trend, which is enabling through regulation, those conversations or those linkages between startups and big banks yes. much more than before. Andrew, let me just allow you to finish your train of thought. A couple more trends that you see in the world of, of fintech before we close? I would mention two others. One we briefly touched upon, which is future of jobs, but also future of work, right? Uh, remote working, use of telepresence, robotics. I think that's going to become more and more common. And the last one, which I've recently started spending time on, is around longevity and this so-called 100-year life, right? That if people are going to live longer and longer, and if you know children born after the year 2000, majority of them are going to live up to 100 years, but you stop working at whatever, 60, 65, how do you then manage your financial life? So what there are companies out there trying to think of creative ways of managing our finances over yes. that much longer time horizon with different yes. ways of spending our time in that. So there are companies building solutions around how do you think of retirement or building reverse mortgages or even doing insurance and retirement planning for the gig economy, which is becoming a big factor. So those are some of the areas that we spend a lot of time on. And of course, this 100-year live concept was a term coined by a couple of colleagues here at London Business School, Linda oh, Bratton really? and Andrew Scott. So. Oh, OK. Yes. Yeah, I read Andrew Scott's book. Indeed. Yes, exactly. yes. One last thought, in, Noel. InsureTech is big. Uh, where Insurance and technology, technology together. Technology together, where you're, you're using a user-friendly app 
to invite customer bypass the axas the prudentials the avivas of the world and go to swiss re hanover re munich re reinsurers directly mm. so you have the deep pockets of the reinsurers and you have the customers being attracted to you who are mainly millennials smartphone users pay as you use so it's like travel insurance or insurance over a short period of time not about life insurance not about health insurance but these you know that's right because the new generation doesn't want to own they want to use the service of so it may be uber may be airbnb may it be something else so under that mindset can i give you insurance for the time like 12 o'clock today till 5 pm tomorrow no it is fascinating for me as a, an observer from the field of if you like business strategy to see these big banks and insurance companies that have for so many decades essentially controlled yes. you know their industries you know you can make a case that they're going to continue to control it but in fact you know listening to this conversation it's clear that change is is underway and 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 their ability to respond effectively to that is going to be critical one challenge in that sense is the the principle of insurance the way we learned about it was risk pooling mm-hmm. yeah the good risk guys subsidize the bad risk guys yeah. comes brussels and says you can't charge different premium for women and to men yeah you yeah, know men may be more risky drivers than women so women are subsidizing men but now there are companies which say we will do insurance only for women yeah. and then you are this finally tranching is becoming smaller and smaller so the risk pooling is getting trickier so it's it's another challenge that is coming up we need to leave it there thank you so much anju and narayan for a fascinating discussion please join us again for more in our podcast series the reality of artificial intelligence available on www.london.edu